Welcome to the 11th Hour, a weekly podcast about Rancid. I'm Brad Rose from Foxy Digitalis. And I'm Sam Mellencom from Debacle Records. And each week we pick a Rancid song and we talk about it and all the complicated feelings and things around all of that. Uh, this week was my pick and coming off of last week's episode, which was kind of rough. <laughs> um, decided to cleanse the palate with nihilism. Alright, so Nihilism is the opening track on Let's Go, which of course came out in 1994, probably in August. I don't <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but everything came out in August. Um, it's written by Tim and Lars, produced by Brett Gerwitz, and... It's got, I don't know if it was the first video Tim directed, but I, I feel like it probably was. I know Tim directed the video, and the video is, I mean, it's classic. Yeah, I, I can't remember, was, do we know if Salvation or Nihilism was the first single? I would assume I th- Salvation. I thought, yeah, I thought it, maybe it was. I don't know. Um, Look that up. Yeah, <laughs> would have been a good idea. I, for some reason, I think, it, I thought it was Nihilism, but like, I don't remember... Because I could see it. I could see that, like, Salvation, they realized after the fact, like, oh, everybody's liking the song, and that became the second single. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, well, it's like, I don't, because, you know, usually the first single comes out, well, I mean, nowadays, the singles all come out before the record comes out, but mm-hmm. um, it would have come out either, like, right before or right when the record come out, and I feel like, I don't, I feel like when Let's Go really took off, it wasn't immediately. Like, I mean, yeah. it was, and so, and, and it took, and Salvation is the main reason it took off i think yeah um, for sure so but obviously we could easily look this up but why not just come up with reasons why, why we think <laughs> yeah um so perhaps at least for this podcast most pertinent or interesting is um this is like the first rancid song i ever heard oh because like i had not listened to rancid prior to let's go i had not heard any of the singles anything so i I don't even, again, I, I think we talked about this. I don't even remember why I decided to buy a Rancid album. But I did. I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I did. But because for, for some reason I was like, oh, fuck Rancid. Like, Up ID was awesome, but fuck Rancid. I don't care about Rancid. You know, I mean, it, it's the stupidest shit. But, um, so yeah, I bought it, put it on. Like, it starts with that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I mean, and, and immediately, like, I was hooked. Like it was like, I, I, I still, I, I, I mean, I can't say I specifically remember listening to it, but I have like this vague recollection of hearing it. And then as soon as it starts and Lars starts singing and I was just like, Oh my God, this is not at all. First of all, it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Cause I was thinking it was going to be more like less melodic and more, you know, when I think of epitaph in the early nineties, like I was thinking of, I mean, I guess that stuff was melodic, but it's like, it didn't sound like this. Like, yeah, 
It didn't sound like Pennywise, basically. Right, yeah, it didn't sound like, or Bad Religion. Like, bad those religion. are the two, the, yeah. and, and I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of it. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so it was so melodic, and, and Lars, you know, it's, Josh, I think, I think he mentioned this on the podcast we did with him, but we talked about how on, like, the first Rancid record, the first voice you hear is Matt. And so, second Rancid record, the first voice you hear is Lars. Like, it's, um... And I, and I think that happens, like, I think on the um, Outcome the Wolves, the first voice you hear is Lars again. So Tim really doesn't put himself. And then I think we have to get to Rancid 5 till Tim, like, starts the album. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and then, I, you know, there's, it's just so interesting to me that, you know, Lars is the new guy. And first song, right off, like, he's right out front singing this pretty personal like verse like kind of you know about growing up in Sharma Palms and right in this neighborhood and Campbell and Albany and all that area. yeah and it and it's I mean it's yeah I don't know it just instantly to me out of the gate it was just it took me by surprise because again I was expecting this Pennywise bad religion shit and it was like whoa this is like really melodic but not melodic in that like Green Day pop punk sort of way mm-hmm. um and yeah I was just I, I yeah. fucking loved it and and I still like this is one of my absolute favorite Rancid songs ever it's such a good um a gang vocally kind of live show song mm-hmm. like it's such a typical like this shit I was listening to like this is like a prototypical good version of that sort of like hey 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 almost sort of like you know like that i guess they do that in the song but you know like that sort of like it's in the air in the mosh pit sort of 90s yeah punk, you know not that this is scott all, but you know that <laughs> sort of that always scott and street punk all kind of has these these moments and this one's such a like out the gate blazer you know just kind of comes so fast uh, you know off of everything um well, I think, I think it's, well, I think it's kind of interesting, too. It's like this, uh, you know, the first Rancid record is all kind of at the same speed. Um, mm-hmm. And this is very not. Like, I mean, like, you, it's, to me, putting this at the beginning is like, okay, we've, like, progressed into something different than that first record. Because it starts out slowish with the Lars verse. And then the drums kick in with Tim's, like, light speed verse but then there's also like in the middle the breakdown the breakdown's uh, such a nice contrast like it really like slows the, the whole thing down and yeah but you're right it even i don't even think of this song as starting slow but it well it's more like it starts fast we break down to large right verse. yeah i mean it's and all then it kind of like it's this kind of strummy moment of him kind of telling a story and then it goes back into this alism and the you know the, you right. know, and the hey, hey and all that stuff <laughs> And like, and it, it still has the very like Tim in the first two records wrote all these guitar lines that are like these three or four note runs that are mm-hmm. kind of high, you know. And um, it still kind of has all those those uh, signifiers from the first record of the like very fast Matt run, very fast Tim mm-hmm. run, and then you know some speed. But then it you know you get that dun dun dun. Dun, dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun, and then them singing Matt singing nihilism over the whole thing almost doing like, right. a, like one of the more complex like vocal comp- performances they've done in that 
Like he's yeah. just playing a halftime thing and singing the nihilism, and then they're singing underneath it, and it like gets kind of like loose and almost like there's a swagger to it, that part in that right. Breakdown. Oh man, like yeah, that bridge breakdown is so. I mean, so it's kind of funny too. So I feel like Matt's vocals, he kind of gets into that mucusy, yeah, so, yeah, but it. And this is going against everything I believe, but it it works so perfectly on that. Bridge. This is a great, this is a great example. It's funny that's like the first one you hear, but this is a great example of why having all three of them, yeah, creates a great thing because you can have Matt do that, and it just kind of sounds like this guy in the background yelling, you know, right? And and you got these like lightning fast Tim mumble mouth stuff. And then Lars just having these very crisp enunciated, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of, you know, emotionally interesting lyrics, you know, at the top. And all three kind of mixed together in a really nice alchemy that we've talked a lot about, you know, recently about how that's probably what sets them apart is that you've got yes. these three vo- voices, you know. Yeah. And the, w- and the way it comes together on that bridge is so, so, I mean, you've got the map part and then it, like you were saying, the guitar gets in that kind of like dun, 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 dun. Which to me is sort of this um, precursor. Like outcome the walls. Yeah, because right it's yeah, like yeah. exactly. It's like oh, this is you know this is a glimpse of what is to come in a way. Like, more. Oh, they found the classic. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I I really also love how that on that bridge it's like the lyrics. Tim starts out singing his part and then sings part of, like Lars' part. it's interesting that we kind of identify this as a large song but a majority of it is sung by tim and a lot of it is about tim's alcoholism and this seems like a real like combo yeah the two of their stories it's like yeah they both kind of were in these like you know uh shittier parts of california as kids and then they both had these sort of nihilistic moments you know tim more post-op ivy i think he found something in op ivy right and then post-op ivy he kind of kind fell of apart. lost and then ran you know? kind of saved his life again yeah and <laughs> i kind of always forget you know what the i see right through them part even though i hear i see right through them as like the hook like that's the mm-hmm. thing you can pull out of this song but like I had kind of, I think maybe at one point kind of remembered what this was actually about. This isn't just like a celebration of being or a celebration slash storytelling of, hey, we were kids and everything was shitty. And so you had these nihilistic feelings. It was like, he was talking, I mean, this is kind of a straight edge song on some level, right? right? Like, Yeah, I mean, he was talking about all, you know, I'm so full of scotch, I could not stand up, release me for more. I mean, it's, yeah. And then the, I nihilistic feeling if i try really hard i'll see right through it to me that's like the getting sober part right yeah it's like it's like he's constantly being pushed these nihilistic feelings and he has to see right through them that's pretty like positive and amazing like right i think for a song that i think i've logged in my head as like you know here's this 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 story of bad times you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of this awesome story of sobriety and getting through things and getting past that nihilistic point of your childhood and kind of 
feel like he's trying to bring Lars along because Lars was still a, a kid basically when he joined. You know, um, he, right. he's quite a bit younger, and um, and so both talking about how they have these similar upbringings, you know, but like it's still a very like Tim centric song around the alcoholism and the sort of like rancid turning everything around. It feels like to me. But. Well, I mean, there was that story. I think we talked about it. Maybe um, probably when we talked, we did the radio episode. I love that we're like referring back to episodes mm-hmm. and I can't we have remember. Which one. Now. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But uh, I mean, cause basically they gave Lars an ultimatum at some point early on that he had like to get his shit together or he couldn't be in the band. And so, um, I don't know, obviously I don't know the timing of like when this song was written during the, you know, recording mm-hmm. of the album and stuff, but in some way I, it feels like at least, you know, the, <laughs> as we look back 20 plus 25, 20, 30, oh Jesus, this is almost yeah, 30 we're years in the old. 30s, yeah. Um, like we can see the whole story. I mean, this is, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it, it is very much Tim's story, but it's also beyond just the Charmin Palms like camp and yeah, all that stuff. Right, I think yeah. it's also Lars' story and um, I think it's really interesting that you were saying how you know we think of this as a Lars song which I again I, I that's where my brain goes because he starts out the song but I think it's it's one of those things that shows and this is something you know I've seen Lars talk about how you know Tim is the captain and Tim is the kind mm-hmm. of leader and it's and it shows when like Tim has really good instincts on stuff like this a lot of the time. So like putting, you know, we've got this new guy in the band, putting him out front. So now people are thinking like you immediately associate let's go more with Lars and Mm -hmm. he's becomes like instantly part of the picture. But yeah, I mean, it's a Tim, this is a Tim song like this. (laughs) Um, and I, so I, I just, mean, this my my like secret sort of like uh, conspiracy podcast brain is like, how much controlling is Tim? You know, and I like yeah. all these like, and as much as I'm like fully with you, and I agree, and it's sort of like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's this sort of awesome Tim gets to be this artistic leader. I also sometimes sometimes I feel like we're like creating like the list of reasons Tim is like kind of a megalomaniac but yeah i think sometimes those two things are the same thing you know what i mean Abs- like oh absolutely i mean i think that's um it's yeah i mean i think there's there's good there's the good side and the bad side of it like the dark side of it and on a song like this it feels more like the good side of it but it can and and you know i don't know i mean there's i mean i think there's a lot of i mean in some ways i think you can say that rancid more generally I mean, there's question marks, whatever, but is the good side of that. And some of these other, like, you know, look at the distiller stuff or the, you know, like that's the dark side of it. Just, yeah, in general, the sort of extended family stuff could be the the darker side of it. Sometimes you can see it as like him giving people a chance, just like he gave Lars a chance and all these things. And sometimes it can feel like he's just trying to keep this family together and make this little empire of friends and... (laughs) And you're just like, is that good? Is that bad? I, I can't tell. And, I know. Uh, it's a tough thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of I mean, like Part this. of me wants, I mean, I run a right. record label. Like, part of, um, I kind of want to have, like, this community. I tried to, we were just doing some, like, look back on Motor, which was a side label I ran, which ended up being bigger than Debacle for a little period of time, <laughs> uh, which was, like, our dance you know, right. night and yep. label. And, and we got a lot of attention, and it was a lot of work, and 
we were reminiscing because it was like 10 years to the day from the first show and i went on my friend's radio show and we talked about it a little tiny bit it really had not a lot of preparation but i the, one of the biggest takeaways for me was how much i was trying to force it to be this group and right. like most people involved were like quite you know great and tried but like how much was i willing to give up power wise you know what i mean like how much vision wise you know like mm-hmm. it was still me being like I don't want to delegate anything. Here's all this stuff, you know, and, and then hoping people would come along. And it's like, that's not really how a group works, but it's also in my experience, rarely does anything get done without a leader going, right. This is what we're going to do. So it's like, I don't know what the right thing is. I don't think it was perfect with motor, but like, you know, we had all the, but also motor wouldn't have existed with all the volunteers and then all these bands. And so it's like, I fully yeah. get it. Like yeah. I fully, fully get it. Like all the I the reason I'm so interested in it is because I see some of that in me too. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Of like trying to force this crew and make you've been a leader of like a lot of people before when you were running like the label, but also like uh, the thing that jumps to mind for me is you had this like army of writers <laughs> working right. on Foxy back in the day, you know. Right. Well and you know, I yeah, I think about that and I think about when and again, like I <laughs> It's weird to talk about too because I don't want to like feel like I'm like patting myself on the back too hard. Yeah, but, well. <laughs> but I mean, with you know, when Foxy Digitalis ended and it was trying to merge with this other site and it never really worked, like looking back, yeah, you go, like was it was cause because I, the, I wasn't, wasn't there. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, and it's yeah, like I think so. Anyways, this might need not even be the best song to unpack all that, but like, yeah, there is this sort of it continues to be an interesting thing of like is it good is it bad is it and it's probably that it's all of those things there's times when it's really bad and there's times yeah. when it's really good well, there's times where like the ego gets way in the way and there's times where it's like it would, nothing would have gotten done otherwise you know so well and i think one of the key things like i think and this is more general but i could see the uh, you know project this onto rancid I, you know i think you need to have generally some kind of leader um yeah but i also think that the whoever that person or you know if it's a group whatever is like they have to be able to take pushback and other people you know so like they also have to be able to like do the work that it's like that servant leadership concept right right you know what i mean for sure and it it, when you look at right i mean it's if 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 it was just tim being like the you know iron fist or whatever you wouldn't have throughout the eight albums that Lars is on and uh, like you wouldn't have all these Lars moments or Matt moments that it's true I think I think while I he is more even than I expected like the core guy Mm -hmm. it seems like the more we dive in it is true that most of the time he kind of wants to be the core guy behind the scenes propping up these people so like even if that comes from a sort of uh you know narcissistic or whatever place he's kind of the way it manifests for him is this sort of propping everybody up to be part of his crew and it's like i think he's happy to if you know he's behind it but he doesn't want to be the only one right like right. i think there's kind of a split difference there and and so well and that's yeah, something i mean i totally you know when i think about when i ran i mean i still run a label but it's a different thing but when i ran digitalis i mean that was i yeah. liked being the person behind the scene i you know i never thought of myself pulling the strings but it was like i like being the person making these records like I, a lot of them wouldn't have happened if I hadn't pushed yeah. and or if you had done like so, or, yeah exactly and like 
you go, well, the label is because it's a combination of my things plus all these people. And like, I'm an integral uh, piece of that puzzle. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I live that all the time. (laughs) And and then, I mean, you know, but then, and I'm sure you have felt this, but then, you know, sometimes there are moments where it's like, okay, but nobody's now giving me any fucking credit. And (laughs) like, you know, and the, you know, this is, the first time I've probably said any of this stuff out loud and quote unquote public. I've had these conversations with my wife or yeah. friends over a beer or something, but it, um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fucked up thing. It's like path to wife. walk. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, you want to be better than some of those urges of like, what the hell man? Like, right. Like, <laughs> but when you like, I think about the festival for 10 years and how much, how much work that was and the people who did it with me and like, we got a lot of kudos, but I never felt like we got the level of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, that's so self-serving. Like, right. who cares? Right. You know, like, right. It's so, like, I can have both those feelings about all this stuff, you know? Yep. Like, looking back at Motor and being like, God damn, we did so much, but also it was so hard. And, like, right. I had to refinance my house to get <laughs> out of Motor. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, like. Man. That's heavy. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it's just the yeah. truth. Like, the between the festival and Motor and some other things like that that is basically why I refied, you know? And it's, yeah. and it's like, um, I would do it again, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it's just, but it, all this goes back to why I'm sort of fascinated by Tim, because like Tim is sort of one of the people I've looked to mm-hmm. as sort of a mover and a shaker who goes above and beyond. Like I think of Ian McKay, I think of yeah. uh, LP, you know, somebody with Tefjax. Brett Gerwitz. Brad Gerowitz, yeah, like I mean, a great example. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, all the folks, you know, Slim and all the people who do Keras and like all yeah, these right. people like that were kind of, there was always these like class of folks who were these movers and shakers that were not exactly the music. And that, as a person who's not good at music, it was like, I, I'm fascinated. And one of them for sure was Tim yeah. and how much he wanted that sort of, especially when I'm in high school, right? He wanted this family of people around him because he didn't, have a great family it was pretty obvious he wanted to create a family of people around him that was making art that made him happy and it's like and he wanted to sort of pull those strings a little bit and um i think i'm certain there's nightmare story i'm sure there's a lot of people like fuck him i don't ever want to talk to that guy again absolutely (laughs) but i'm also like there's so many good things that have come from that you know what i mean and that at least mean a lot to me and it's like i'd love to know more about that like like what does that feel like you know like yeah because well, I know I have my like tiny, tiny version of it, you know. Right. Well, and that's I mean, and to thinking of this whole idea of, um, and I, I thought I was hoping that I could leave out. I just I was about to call it outcome the dominoes. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that fucking record is called, dominoes fall. What is it called? Let the dominoes. Let the dominoes fall. fall. Jesus Christ! It's called roll the dice. Yeah, roll the dice. Roll the dominoes. Um, with the wolves. Uh, no, anyway. Um, you know that last song when it's like, I just want to, it's their mm-hmm. shitty version of On the Road Again, of I just want to make music with my friends. And I think about, like, one of the things that I love about um, a lot of sort of like jazz and improv scenes right now is how there's all these individual parts and they all work together and connect in different ways. Like, I think of someone like Luke Stewart, who mm-hmm. is in like my view one of the greatest artists around right now and you know he's doing his solo like 
bass and amplifier stuff and then he's got his like ensembles and he's in irreversible entanglements working with like more mother and chester holmes and all these people and then he's i just got a promo today with his album another album he has coming out with somebody else and he's doing like um but i always that was like a thing i always wanted was like this group of people I, you know, I however 100%. many. I know exactly what you're. And it was like, oh well, me and John are going to get together, and that's this project. But then Nathan's going to show up, and so is Eden, and so that's this different. And yeah, like, and that's you know what that you just described to me is over and over in my life. I feel like I've seen those at mm-hmm. least the like um, the propaganda of that from afar. Like I think about reading volcanic tongue lists, absolutely. You know, in like two thousand great example two thousand three. And they made it seem like there's this American underground happening and the folk and the noise and like I'm missing out and yeah. I should make my own where I am. And like Seattle really didn't have a lot besides like there was like Sun City and then there was like a bunch of kids, you know what I mean? Right. Like there was no there was no like vertical scene the way they, these other scenes had in the East Coast and the South and stuff. And like and like that was really important. And actually something I was gonna say about this that I was like, Oh, maybe we've moved past this point, but like I do wanna say that opening, that very like funny how much it sounds like the breeders um cannonball you know mm-hmm. that opening of the song that's like that that feedbacky slide mm-hmm. um which oh, does, man, sound does sound like, like breeders. Breeders. uh yeah yeah in general this album I've been coming back to Let's Go and thinking about it. That album and that opening reminds me of this feeling like there's all this stuff happening in the nine, early 90s that I'm too young. I'm sitting in a basement in on a hill in Issaquah. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm 10 or 12. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm being fed this because I have older people around me, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, this really sounds like, oh my God, there's this like kind of rough and tumble, interesting... A punk scene happening in the Bay Area that mm-hmm. I'm just not a part of, and like I would love to be a part of it, and and there's something to this opener that go, makes me go, there's this big world out there, you know? Yeah. What I mean? And in the same way that Aquarius and like Volcanic Tongue, especially, kind of created this mythology of these other scenes happening, you know, like Byron Coley articles is what I'm thinking about, and like all these things in the yeah. mid early 2000s jewel dantler was a huge one for me yeah right? yeah exactly all you're like oh my god all this is happening yeah and like i you know all the vhf record grew in, mm-hmm. in england you know and like like all the like sunroof and and all that stuff you and you mythologize it right like right. you turn it into this thing that probably wasn't completely true but was probably half true and there was kind of these golden moments for those scenes for sure they did kind of combine and there's this problem of like it's hard what the thing i've learned that I don't seem to be good at, by the way. Um, I think I tried the hardest on motor and got as far as I could, but like, it can't force it. No, that's the thing. You can't. And you try. I I right. tried a lot to Same. to make it seem like there's this like treehouse of friends making music, and it's like, I the one number one thing I would say is either do it better. You know what I mean? Like like make that be the only point to what you're doing, and not like be so opportunistic with everything else you're doing. Or just don't try that. Like, don't yeah. try to force that. If it comes together, it comes together. But like, there's so much work involved in that, and and most of that probably didn't wasn't even real. Most of that was probably oh um, for sure. 
mythology of the yeah. writers and the and the <clears throat> reviewers and and like oh the, all these people live in the same town so there must be in like four houses on the same block and they're all right. hanging out right but then my friend moves to new york and goes like well, I across the, you know i went across the hall and there's a, a you know a loft and malthus is playing i go down the hall and thurston's there and you're just like well, that sounds kind of cool, you know. Like, right. you know, like <laughs> you're like maybe there are some scenes, and it, but that takes this huge infrastructure of like a New York City, or you know. Well, what I mean? like, and the funny thing about that though is I've had conversations with um, a friend of mine here who he used to live in New York City, and then they moved. He and his wife moved here a couple of years ago, and we were at one of the shows we put on recently here, and there was it was Tuesday night. There was like 25 people there, and it's like, oh my god, this is like awesome i was like i mean i guess you know you're you're used to shows in new york as well he's like oh no he's like we didn't get turnouts this good in most of our shows in new york either so yeah because uh, you have the opposite problem <laughs> right. Of things to do, right right yeah, and, exactly. and, and everybody only goes to their one little thing so yeah but i, I know what you mean like it, it is i think it's um it's interesting that we ended up there because i had a really strong feeling about that that like this record feels like i missed something you know what i mean because i did i was a little older like right. i don't think i came to this when it came out i think we've talked about that and right and like people around me it was their favorite rancid record and radio kind of has this like nostalgia to it and everything and it's like it's almost like there's a term for like that borrowed nostalgia of somebody else's nostalgia yes. almost right um and it really feels like that and i think there's i'm so susceptible to that yeah, you know no, what I mean. Same. Like I, I, yeah, this was an example of that. And throughout the world, like I, I remember learning about what is it like, um, the trip hop group in like Bristol or whatever, right? Like to me, that's this idealized thing. And it's probably like there was two apartments where some people lived together and they did some good right. shows. And oh, I'm yeah. sure there was something to it, but like it's not what you think it is, right? And right. That's, I guess that's the whole metaphor of like Journey to the End of the East Bay, right? Right. Like it's, <laughs> It's it's don't assume these places are important, you know. And this and, ain't no mecca, man. This place this ain't is no fucked. mecca, man. This place is fucked, exactly. <laughs> and like, uh, it is interesting how much, you know, this song is kind of. I know we're kind of off the. No, but I think song. it's. I think it's. I think there's. Um, I mean, there. I think there's, a couple ways. Like, I totally agree that intro. I mean, it's like what ten seconds of that feedback, and now that you said cannonball, that's all I can hear. Um, <laughs> that's that is spot on. But I mean, it it's it feels like this like fog lifting on endless possibilities of like that nineties yeah and and aggression and positivity and and yeah like California to me like there was such a yeah. California thing for me East Bay like and of course that's not about now I'm thinking about what it was in the nineties sure but like. That was so built into this song, and the fact, the thing that we've kind of mentioned before to kind of bring it around is that, like, it's also really meaningful. It's almost impossible to think of this song without thinking about radio being the next song. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's it's the the one two punch to open. You know, it's funny. Like, let's go was original. That was the first album I heard, and I think when we when I first started this idea. I was focusing mostly on let's go and out come the wolves and like, I don't know, which is my favorite. Da, 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 da. Over the couple months we've done this and I've, I've listened to Rancid more than I, in the last few months than I have in a decade. Okay. And th this might be like my fourth or fifth favorite Rancid record. Now. I know. I, I think it's the nostalgia. I think it's it the, is. like, this is the promise record. This isn't the like actual, this isn't making good on the promise, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, and I, I mean, 
my pick. I, can we? Are we at a place where we can get into my? Pick? Yeah. So yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what? Are, what are we going to talk about next? Next time. Well, because I think it's a great thing that like my. I think at one point in my life I would have said honestly, life won't wait is my favorite, mm-hmm. and and then I've kind of got off that, and now it's like. I think Life Won't Wait in 2000 are really competing with like an outcome the world's being this sort of like almost umbrella that lives bigger than anything else you know what I mean like it's right like, it's not as personal to me as as it is phenomenal but it's like it's a little less personal but in terms of a song that has weirdly personal connotations to me is like we're gonna we're gonna do uh Lester Square oh man I almost I almost picked that like two whatever times ago I, I think no I almost picked that instead of this Yes. <laughs> awesome. Great. Oh so, man, yeah, I have no, like... a good Lars song to another to a great Lars song, and uh, we'll. Uh, we'll and this is good too because I was I was I've been thinking like I've been thinking how we've been talking so much about Tim. We need, we need like a good Lars episode, so this is perfect. Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, um, everybody, always thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rancid Pod. I kind of want to say see you in the pit, but I, I can't do it. <laughs> Josh's idea is really good. Um, anyway, all right, we'll uh, we'll see you guys. We'll see you next time. Take it easy, Sam. Cleanse the palate with nihilism which that sounds really (laughs) (laughs) what a sentence right yeah